Welcome to the Getting Grounded with Data podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm Patty. Before we get started on today's topic, please remember to like and subscribe to receive the latest insights and a little silliness with a slice of mischief from the approachable data folks at Grounded with Data. For more information about Grounded with Data, our work, team, philosophies, etc., please visit our website, groundedwithdata.com, or scan this QR code on the screen if you're watching. For our discussion today, the next in the our data science series 101, it's arts and crafts time. Today we will be discussing some of the best practices for discussing data in reports and professional presentations. During this conversation, we'll help provide you with tips to present your data more clearly, as well as um, helping you to identify the games that others may play with the information they present. Uh, we'd also like to warn you today that uh, if you're listening as a podcast, um, sorry, uh, we're going to be showing charts and graphs to explain things, um, and we don't want to get too heavy into the explaining what the page actually looks like, um, so you might want to go check out our YouTube video for this one. Um, so first up, we're going to talk about some of the pitfalls or how people might be able to game the system. And the first is when people use different bar charts to compare stuff. So the uh, two images on your screen um, show the exact same information. But as you can see, one side, the one on the left, does not start at zero. So Jack, what's the, what's the hesitancy about not starting at zero? And what are some things that you can think about as why not start at zero? Well, there are some reasons. Okay, if you're trying to uh, present information that is like very minute, differences are very statistically significant, then you want to be able to show those gradients so that people that are seeing the graph can actually see what you've detected um, within your significance test. Another reason, the downside, of course, would be people trying to game the system and to show an overdramatic curve or a change that really didn't occur and that isn't statistically significant. Yeah, the, um, the example I've got is um, with the last company I worked with, it's the second largest membership organization in the country, uh, a 0.1%, if I recall correctly, equaled um, like 550,000 people. So seeing those percent ticks uh, more dramatically and not starting the graph at zero uh, really mattered to them. Exactly. And, you know, it's also know who provided the data to you. There are some sources of data where you your spider senses should be on alert, especially if they show you a north or easterly sloping line or, or bar chart like this. Mm-hmm. You kind of, if you have any suspicion about it, it's probably going to be true that you shouldn't listen to the, that, those numbers. Okay. All right. So the next example we've got are spaghetti graphs. Uh, when you have line charts that are trying to measure stuff over time, but the graph itself is so convoluted with the spaghetti and the multicolors that it's nearly impossible to pull any insight. What do you have to tell about this? <laughs> well, after having just come through a hurricane, I see spaghetti a little differently these days. <laughs> but I guess a couple key takeaways is when you're looking at a spaghetti graph um, is how, cl- how closely clustered are the, are the lines? Are they kind of all pointing towards the same kind of general direction. And then the second part would be, what are the outliers? Where are they pointing and why are they pointing there? 
Mm-hmm. So you just kind of look at really what the center of the information is, is telling you, but they are difficult to read unless you're used to reading them all the time. Yes. And so I came up with some examples, um, actually, Cole Nafflick Nesbaum from uh, telling stories or storytelling with data. She came up with these examples and I'm using them because I like them. Um, is how you, if you are the controller of the graph, how to smack yourself, not do the spaghetti graph and make something else. So she gave two examples. The first is um, how you can actually break it out by category. And if the, so for her example, if the story was, well, how did it change from like this example, 2006 to 2011, you can really see that story. Now you can also see how things change over time, but if that's not like integral, you can know that, you know, 70 is less or the the dot after the 70 of category three, 70% is less and the um, then the 70% and the dot for category four after the 70% is a higher, but it's not that, you know, that's not really significant. That's not where the story lies. So this is kind of a way to break it out. Um, But I know you also have some qualms with this one, right, Jack? Well, I think it's a, it's a great representation. And uh, when I see it like a spaghetti line, I like to look at it as more of a regression, find the line of best fit. And it really, that's really the center line of the story. But as far as this graph goes, yeah, this is all great. But if you're reading each individual part separately, you also have to kind of look at it. What does the combined story tell you? So you'll like the next example. Uh, uh, uh. Um, so the next example we have is those categories listed again. Um, but you can actually see how they compare to everybody else in it, but you can see explicitly which one it is. So like if there's a ton of categories, then you can see, like you said, the, um, what is what they call it in the hurricane stuff, the, the cone of... Cone of uncertainty? In, yes. <laughs> so you can see where it, it lives. Yeah. Well, I... I love that. I mean, that really does tell the story. You can see everything in relationship to the model that's being presented in the overall spaghetti model. Mm -hmm. So another example we have um, when it comes to line charts is when dealing with the dual axis. And so going back to what Jack had said about being able to compare things against each other, one of the pitfalls or things that people might game on or do it accidentally is the the uncertainty you're not knowing is the where the crosshairs of the two axes meet. Is that really real? And so they may just be putting the chart, the, the graph lines on because it was the default in Tableau or Excel or whatever, but that may not necessarily be where the line falls. So some extra math has to kind of come in play and you have to do the due diligence of understanding where is that real cross line, right? Oh, exactly. Well, when you have lines that cross like that, the proper thing to do would be to say whatever their intersecting point is and what that represents. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's it's really kind of meaningless because it's really it's two different pictures that have been smerged. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the technical term, by the way, smerged. Oh, yeah, I use it all the time, of course. Of course. Yes. So another thing that we see that the auto defaults to when you just have all these numbers is when you're looking at population where you're looking at results and you're like, let's put it on a map. And then you start to look at quantities. Um, the biggest problem is that your map just represents probably the quantity or the same like 
size of what the population actually is. So for example, on this slide, you know, oh yes, the, the, you know, the top hires, you know, that we hired the most people in California and the most people in Texas or got, the, you know, the most, the most hires. And it's like, well, also those are the biggest states and you have the most facilities there. So what is this actually new, new telling you? You know, are you overhiring based on what the population or the needs are? Are you underhiring? Like, what's the difference? Like, you're just showing the baseline number. What you want to do is, so on this next slide, is show a comparison. Use it for a reason. Use it to tell the story that doesn't just say, um, this is the largest, this is the smallest, but this is how they compare against each other. Right, Jack? Absolutely. Well, a number only means something when it's compared to something else that is relative. Mm -hmm. And so here you're taking out a kind of the weight that like California or Texas would have and showing it kind of on a common scale. I think this is an appropriate way to illustrate these data. Yeah. All right. So that's maps. Oh, so the next one, pie charts. Oh, you, your favorite. <laughs> oh, use pie charts and food with caution. Actually, don't use food, but if you must use pie charts, I mean, donuts, but if you must use pie charts, use them with caution. Here's an example of too much pie. It's too much pie. And then also it's not even in like greater to less than, it's like all over the place. Even if it were greater than less than, it'd still be a hot mess. Don't do it. Make a table, use a heat map on the table, do something else. This is too much pie. Pies are meant to, like Jack said, compare something to another thing so it's meaningful. And this has no meaning in it. Like you can't even, like you have to really dig around to be able to figure out kind of where you're even going with it. So don't do it. Don't do it. Also, if you have to do a pie and we recommend not doing pie, keep in mind that pies will round. And so if you're looking for a very precise answer, you might be off by as much as one or two if you're trying to show a whole number. So it, it gets a little... A little dicey when you're pieing. When you're pieing. So um, the next one uh, is another chuckle, but it's about 3D charts. And um, I just like to say, just say no, just no. Don't do it. Don't do these, these, these 3D charts. You can't derive any useful information out of them. Um, yes, they're fun and fancy and Excel is like, yeah, no, just no. Um, <laughs> There's, it's really difficult that the people just don't have the ability for depth perception in that way. And it's just so not meaningful and it's not useful. And there's so much better ways to do it. Just know. So Patty, what are you saying? What, cut to the essence. What do you know? No, <laughs> no, just no, just no. So <laughs> yeah. So those are some examples of understanding to know kind of if you're being gamed or kind of basic basics of understanding how to read different charts and graphs. Um, just basically kind of some lessons learned on what we've experienced in our, in our time reading and looking at, at charts and things. But now we have um, just a list of tips and tricks um, and thinking about what you're going to need um, when you are the one in charge of making these charts and graphs. Jack, do you wanna kick us off? Absolutely. Color and style is key. So keep in mind that depending on the type of presentation you're doing, there might be guidelines. So if you're doing academic or you're actually publishing something, you might have to default to a publication guide such as AMM, AMA or APA, Harvard or Chicago, any of those styles you might have to like conform to, which it's been my experience that the graphics are pretty, pretty boring. But nevertheless, if you're going to publish something, you have to note that 
there might be an expectation for the guide mm -hmm. style. Yes, or if you are doing something for um, a client on behalf of a client, understand what their brand guidelines are um, and what colors they use, that kind of thing. Um, the other, another tip is keep it clean. Um, so here is another example of different ways to tell a story. And really the idea is to remove all redundancy. Uh, so the image on the left, you can see that it actually, it doesn't even have a left axis with tick marks because you have all the answers you need by looking at the bars. You don't also need to then add, it's, it's like, what, what can you remove? It's like, try to try to find as much white space as possible. Um, another example on the right is the shape is telling the story, but it's really the other information that is what the executives really wanted to know, but they wanted to see how it significantly drops off afterwards. And then we asked questions about the story. Um, so this was used as an accompaniment piece and not the reason for it. And so we didn't have to get all elaborate with like putting way too much stuff on it. Um, so keeping it clean is a big tip. Another tip, uh, succinctness. I can't say it, Patty. Succinctness. Succinctness. <laughs> succinctness. Um, be brief, be bright, be gone. Mm -hmm. Succinctness. Okay. Succinctness. In three, Succinctness. In two, in one. Oh, we're keeping this. Oh, Jack, we're keeping this. Succinctness. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so, also consider the pre attentive attributes such as color, form, and passion. So, passion. See, I just messed up. Position. And you also want to color, um, accommodate for color deficiency, color vision deficiency with red or green. So what a pre-attentive attribute is, is that everybody knows, well, everybody knows, except if you're in uh, that other alternate universe with Dr. Strange, is green means go and red means stop. Um, and so in this world, green means good and, and, and red means bad. However, people can't see that when the whole world is gray. So there's been new things to uphold of like orange or orange is not great, blue is fine, that kind of stuff. But also pre-attentive tributes of color is like the dark, like if you're doing like a color scale, the darker and deeper the color, the heavier something is or the more of something is, the lighter it is in color than the lighter it is. Like don't opposite that people, like we showed with the um, geographic maps, the denser something is in terms of population or percentage or numbers or whatever, is a heavier color. Um, and the same thing with like positioning, um, be careful of, you know, which you're having the smallest numbers on the bottom and the biggest numbers on top. Don't flip it unless it really matters to your story. And then you've got a lot of unattentiving to do. Okay. The next point is avoid using challenging charts. Think about what you want to express and select a graphic that supports that expression effectively. Uh, tell a story. Don't sacrifice on the comple complexity in your visuals. Find a way to present it without confusing the audience. So for example, if you're presenting the X-Men movie timeline, that'd be immensely confusing. So maybe break it up a little bit and maybe just take the Wolverine saga and tell that in its, its appropriate timeline. Okay. Uh, and then you eventually put all the other parts back together. Yeah, you don't know how many times where I was like, 
this would be an amazing scatter plot. And then you have to think about, oh, will other people know how to read the scatter plot? <laughs> so you have to be very cautious about that. Even if it can be chock full of insights and stories, it's not for everyone. Um, but the other thing is to make it meaningful. Um, the other tip, and if it's, so if it's not telling the story, it doesn't need to be involved in the presentation. Uh, so when Jack and I put together uh, our findings and insights for a client, um, we will front load in the executive summary and in certain results, what the story is telling in the best way of like showing that information, but then everything else that they deserve to have because they paid for it, um, but it may not be significant to the story we're telling, but we want them to have it. We just throw it into the appendices. <laughs> Um, and then also, yeah, thank you. And then also, um, you can treat things as part of a story. Like you can treat the charts and graphs as part of the story. Infographics are huge these days. So here's some examples of what um, Jennifer and I had done with Data Wonderment. I, I, when I was looking back on these, I was like, we made infographics, awesome. Uh, but we did, and it was super cool to be able to do. Um, and I think, well, you know, I'll be telling Ellie we need some more of these. Um, but uh, we, you know, telling that kind of story and using numbers and charts um, in that way really shows an overall good picture of um, proof source also, instead of just saying these numbers that are happening, uh, you can proof source it. Okay, and then lastly, coach our audience through the visual so they can interact with the data without making common slips or mistakes. So, for example, Patty and I just presented a report uh, during the hurricane. And so what we realized is that we used some technical terms and we created a separate like guide for people to follow that would really help them to coach what certain data represented within these models we put out. Yeah, because it wasn't actually a presentation. It was a submit and we knew that it was coming. So we took some extra time knowing that with what we wanted to actually submit and present, we wouldn't get to present for weeks. And so we'd be with them, sitting with them. And uh, it was just more like how to read these charts, how to understand the different, like the correlation numbers, how to understand R and blah, blah, blah. And, and just because it's important, they, they, you know, it's important that everybody kind of be on the same page. So coaching them is super important. And that's all for this episode of the Getting Grounded with Data podcast. We hope you enjoyed this session. If you have any questions, always feel free to reach out to either or both of us at Patty with an I at groundedwithdata.com or Jack at groundedwithdata.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe and tell your friends. Bye.